0: So a few months ago, uh, I, uh, actually a while back, I switched my gym membership to um, uh, Planet Fitness. I was uh, up at Club Fitness and moved over to Planet Fitness just because it works a little better with my schedule. Uh, but after joining, I was fascinated to learn more about the Planet Fitness brand. Uh, aside from really emphasizing the color purple, they are trying to target people who are afraid of gyms, people who are intimidated by spandex and by... Um, tank tops, uh, the gym's target market is just people, ordinary people who, you know, they're not that buff or anything, they're not incredibly healthy, they're just trying to find a way to, to get a little bit healthier, and they're looking for some place to start, you know, people like me and Donnie. Uh, so the, uh, the marketing department has labeled their stores judgment-free zones where people can exercise regardless of what they look like, regardless of how healthy they are. Uh, Interestingly, in some early marketing materials, uh, somebody in the marketing department actually misspelled the word judgment and put an E in the middle of the word, and the marketing execs decided to keep it uh, to make the point that nobody's perfect at Planet Fitness. Uh, They don't have huge weights. They don't have bench presses to attract really avid weightlifters. They have what's called a lunk alarm on the wall, that actually somebody sets off if they behave like a lunk, like if they drop big weights or they grunt really really loudly, the lunk alarm goes off. In fact, one time, I actually set the lunk alarm off. (laughs) I did. Uh, They also, as a way, just, I guess, I don't know, I still don't understand this, but they serve donuts on Monday and pizza on Friday. (laughs) I've actually seen people exercising while eating pizza. Now, of course, there are always people who take these things too far. In a New Hampshire area Planet Fitness a while back, one man was arrested at Planet Fitness while exercising naked. As uh, the police came to arrest him and haul him away, he could actually be heard yelling out, I thought this was a judgment-free zone! (laughs) Now, I enjoy working out at Planet Fitness, although, like everybody, I don't make it up there often enough don't judge me, you don't exercise enough either, but when I do make it up there, I actually find myself asking a question, what does the church have to learn from Planet Fitness? What would it look like if the Christian church was also a judgment-free zone, a place where it's okay to make mistakes, perfectionism was prohibited? Where you can walk in without fear of being intimidated by super-religious types who look like they bench-press huge stacks of Bibles. Where you can walk in and not see a lot of big Christian lunks walking around with, like, gallon-sized containers of communion juice to stay hydrated, bro. Bro where you can just come in without fear, learn about Jesus and the Bible at whatever level you're at, whatever you look like, whatever you smell like? What would it look like for the church to be a judgment-free zone? What would it look like for rooftop to be a judgment-free zone? How close are we to that, and how do we become it? These are the questions I wonder as I'm on the treadmill at Planet Fitness eating donuts. And these are also the questions raised by the passage in Romans that we're studying here. We are in, as you might know, an extended study of Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, which is a letter in the New Testament. We're in a series that's currently called Food Fight. Now Romans is a very important book in the New Testament. Uh, It's written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a uh, first century Christian missionary, an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. He traveled around the mediterranean preaching the gospel um, starting churches visiting churches he really really wanted to visit the christian church in rome because it's the capital city so he writes them a nice long letter in which he introduces himself and uh, summarizes for them the message of christianity the message that god in his love justifies sinners like us uh, through the sacrifice of jesus on the cross we've been made righteous in god's sight Uh, because of what Jesus did on the cross, and we can receive the gift of salvation by faith and faith alone. That's the the, the message of Romans. Now, the first 11 chapters of Romans are very, as we've seen, very theological. And the last section of Romans is actually very practical, as Paul tries to help us understand how the gospel, the message of justification by faith alone, applies to our lives in very practical levels. Uh, How should the gospel change us? How should the gospel transform us? As we've been saying, Christians change. If you're not... Being changed by the gospel, you're probably not a Christian because Christians change. Uh, The gospel makes us more loving, the gospel makes us more submissive, the gospel makes us more courageous, and the gospel also makes us less judgmental. When properly lived out, the gospel changes judgmental churches and judgmental Christians into judgment-free zones. That's the subject of the passage in Romans that we've been studying. So let me go ahead and read to you our passage for the morning, uh, after which we will discuss it. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account to God. Now, this uh, uh, surprisingly short passage for us uh, has—it it takes place in the context of a, of a larger discussion that Paul is having with the people uh, in the Roman church. Uh, he is addressing a, a situation that has happened in the church. It's a theological conflict that has come up. A conflict over the matter of, of all things, food. And he is addressing two different types of people. Uh, he labeled them a couple weeks ago. The uh, weak, or the strict, Christians, and then the strong, or the, the more um, uh, permissive Christians. Um, permissive isn't the right word. The strict and uh, flexible, flexible, we'll go with flexible. The, the strict, uh, uh, weak Christians are, are those who believe that in order to kind of keep in good with God, they have to continue to obey Old Testament laws about what to eat. And the strong Christians, the more flexible Christians, they believe that, no, you, you really don't have to obey those Old Testament laws anymore. Je- Jesus died to, to uh, save us from those laws. Now, instead of happily coexisting, the, the weak and the strong... Uh, instead of like learning from each other and just being happy to be part of the same church where you can kind of be different from each other, they had started bickering and they had started judging each other. And Paul enters the fray of this theological conflict to, to sort of like calm things down. And, and one of the things he points out, in fact, the big point he makes in this passage is, is he says the matter of what to eat as Christians is, is what he calls something very important. He calls it a disputable matter. What to eat as a Christian is a disputable matter. It's not that important. It's something that we can disagree on. It doesn't have anything to do directly with the essence of Christianity, the essence of the gospel. The essence of Christianity is remarkably simple it's that God, in his love, sent Jesus to earth to teach us how to live, to die for our sins, to be raised from the dead, to rule over creation, and that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead and to restore all things. That's the essence of the gospel. That doesn't involve eating things. Knowing what to eat does not have a direct correlation to the essence of the gospel. It's a disputable matter that we can disagree on in good conscience and still regard each other as Christians. Now, we've been making a lot of application of this passage that Christians today get caught up in various food fights, which is why this series is called Food Fights. Uh, Arguments over disputable matters that are important but secondary. And our disputable matters can be of any many different types. They can be doctrinal issues, like the the particulars, the particular theological opinions we have. They can be uh, worship practices, how exactly to do church. Uh, They can be political opinions. They can be moral behaviors. These are all very important things that we really need to discuss and debate, uh, but they, they don't need to alienate us from each other as Christians. We should resist the urge to divide over these things, and we must not, under any Circumstances judge one another because of them. And that's Paul's big beef here in this passage judgment. As he says, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? I mean, you judge your brother because he eats a different diet than you? Really? Now, Paul was a big anti-judger. I mean, he's already talked about the importance of not judging in Romans at least a couple times in this sense, he's actually just kind of channeling uh, Jesus, uh, who is also a big anti-judger. I mean, Jesus says quite famously in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. The, the Bible is very clear about not judging. At the same time, let's pause for a second and, and define our terms. What does that mean? What does it mean precisely to not judge or to judge? And, and does the Bible really say uniformly that we are not to judge? I mean, in fact, the Bible speaks with two voices here. I mean, uh, Jesus says, do not judge you, too will be judged. But he also says a couple of chapters later in the Gospel of John, he says, judge with right judgment. So you can judge, just do it correctly. And, and, and Paul, for his part, he says, hey, don't judge your brother. But he also says in Corinthians, he says, is it not those inside the church you are to judge? So don't be judgmental to the people outside the church, uh, but you can judge all you want inside the church. Let them have it. Go to town. So, so what is the Bible telling us here? To judge or not to judge? Is this supposed to be a judgment-free zone or a judge-more-and-better zone? Well, part of the problem here is that the specific meaning of words can be really hard to pin down. I mean, you, you know that the word judge can mean a lot of different things. And this is true in Greek, too. The New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek word for judge is the word krono. And krono can actually, it has, the smart people say it has a large semantic range. And it can mean a lot of different things. The word krono can, can mean to decide, like to, to make a decision, to judge. It can mean to adjudicate, like to oversee a trial. And it can also mean to condemn, to form a negative opinion of someone and punish them accordingly. And when it comes to the different meanings of the word chrono in the New Testament, uh, there's exceptions to this, of course, but Christians are frequently called to decide. Christians are sometimes called to adjudicate, but Christians are never called to condemn. And that's the meaning of the word judge that Jesus and Paul are, are Condemning here. Judgment is condemnation. It's what Jesus is actually getting at in the Gospel of Luke when he says, Do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. This is an example of what's known as Hebrew parallelism. Uh, When rabbis, Jewish rabbis, say the same thing in slightly different ways, but by reading each line, you can kind of understand what they're trying to get at. To judge is to condemn. And to condemn is not to just be critical of others, it's to treat them as less deserving than you, as further away from God than you, and as more likely to go to hell than you, to judge is to condemn. Now, you know as well as I do, that Christians, let's be frank, us have a reputation for doing this, and doing it a lot, and doing it very well. Being judgmental is one of the biggest criticisms that Christians today get from the world. In a book from a few years ago, it's a book called Unchristian What a New Generation Thinks About Christianity. The author actually uh, made the point that nine out of ten, nine out of ten non Christian 20 something year olds view Christian people as judgmental. Nine out of ten non Christian 20 something year olds view Christians as uh, judgmental people that they really don't want to spend a lot of time with. In fact, if you're a non-Christian here this morning, two things. One, welcome. We know it takes a lot of courage for non-Christians to go to church. And two, this actually might be a question that you have. I mean, did the greeter just pretend to welcome me gladly in the front door? Or is this church, what kind of church is this? Is this church filled with judgmental people types who are already like sizing me up in their hearts to decide if I, if I really belong here? Now, honestly, I think some of the criticism that Christians receive for being judgmental is kind of uh, unfair. Um, Christians are oftentimes called judgmental when really we're just expressing opinions. I remember when I was in college, for example, I was talking with a friend of mine, and we were talking about um, extramarital sexual behavior. And uh, in a moment of honesty, she, she told me that she enjoys extramarital sexual behavior. Uh, and in a moment of honesty, I told her, well, I actually think extramarital sexual behavior is uh, wrong. And her, her finger came out and said, stop judging me. I'm like, I, 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 I wasn't. I, it was, I, we were having a perfectly happy conversation. I was just, expre- I didn't, I'm not sending you to hell. I'm not condemning you or any, anything. Uh, I don't think you're that, any less deserving of God's love. I was just articulating a belief. But we're so, we're so prickly these days, right? We're so easily offended, we can't even speak our minds without being labeled judgmental. So a lot of judgmentalism is not actually judgmental. This is like conflating two different meanings of the word judge. A lot of judgmentalism is just opinionating, just talking, just talking that we can't do anymore. Having said that, that's probably not what was happening in Rome. Paul says that the Romans really were condemning each other, why do you judge and look down on your brother? They weren't just opinionating. They were, they were good, old-fashioned judging. And as far as we can tell, it was actually threatening the health and the unity of our church. And, and judging threatens the health and the unity of, of ours. Yeah, I know a lot of times Christians get unfairly critiqued when, when we really just have opinions, but it's not like we're not also very judgmental and we're very good at it in the Christian church. We are star pupils when it comes to judging. I remember a story that uh, Mike, Mar- Mike McHarg told in his book Finding God in the Waves, which is a great book we studied in my book club uh, a couple years ago, but it's a story of a friend of his uh, who, this friend of his grew up in a a very conservative, small little church, very Bible-y, small, uh, fundamentalist Bible church, in the buckle of the Bible belt. Not just the buckle of the Bible belt, like the hole in the middle of the buckle of the Bible belt, you know, the little metal thing goes through. And he said his his family is a great religious family. uh, They went to church every Sunday. But one Sunday, uh, they had, or one week, they had an inspector come in to inspect their house on Monday morning, and they had to paint their house. The only day they had to do it was Sunday. So they, had, they skipped church to paint their house. And a while later, the church leadership found out about it, and here's what they decided to do instead of like helping offer to paint the house, which you know, might have been the best thing to do. They held a stoning service to excommunicate this family for violating the Sabbath. They also, at the same service, excommunicated another member of the church who they discovered was working in a convenience store that, shock of all shocks, sold cigarettes. Now, they didn't actually throw stones, but they might as well have. And this happened like, this didn't happen a thousand years ago. This happened in recent memory. And it happens frequently. Christians do this. Christians hold stoning services. Now, that illustration might sound extreme to us, but it takes place in our hearts in different ways. Judgmentalism is both egregious and subtle. We don't have to hold stoning services to be judgmental. Stereotyping, for example, is a form of judgmentalism. Gossip is a form of judgmentalism. Excluding others is a form of judgmentalism. Payback, revenge, are by definition a form of judgmentalism ignoring others is a form of judgmentalism, deciding that they are not worth your time or, or your energy or even you looking at them. In fact treating people with anything less than the complete love mercy and compassion of Jesus Christ is to judge them treating people with anything less than the complete love, uh, compassion and mercy of Jesus Christ is to judge them and that's, that's frequent Now, how do we not do it, though? How do we uh, not judge? I mean, turning our church into a judgment-free zone requires us to be judgment-free individuals, and how do we become those? I mean, that's hard. I've been well aware of what the Bible has to say about not judging since before I became a Christian in high school, and yet I still judge people left and right. My instinct is to stereotype people, for example. My instinct to stereotype people has been burned into my brain. How do I unburn it? With my uh, son, still up at the hospital, I've been uh, spending a lot of time up in North County, which is kind of up towards where the hospital is. And the other day, I snuck out of the hospital uh, to go to Planet Fitness, of all places. Paid two extra bucks to get the membership where I can go anywhere. Now, Planet Fitness was crowded. It it was uh, the lunch hour, and being in North County, it had lots of African-Americans there. Perfectly normal people uh, using the gym like perfectly normal people do. But here's the thing, I was a little too aware of it. I was a little too surprised to see perfectly normal African American people using the gym. I was a little, I might have spent a little too much time thinking about whether or not I needed to lock my locker to protect my wallet, given that I'm in North County and well, you know, North County. Now, I hate myself for being unable to shake these inborn judgmental instincts. How do I get rid of them? For the love of God, please tell me how I get rid of them. And if you're judging me for having them, well, (laughs) I'll leave that between you and the Lord. Well, the Bible actually has a lot to say about how to become judgment-free people. A lot to say. And I'm going to go ahead and distill it down to three general points. In order to become judgment-free people who go to a judgment-free church, we need to really understand three things. We need to understand something about ourselves. We need to understand something about others. And we need to understand something about God. First, we need to understand something about ourselves. We need to understand that we have bigger problems than other people's sin. (laughs) We have bigger problems than other people's sin. I'm speaking, of course, about, you tell me, our sin. As much as we might enjoy condemning others in all the ways that we do, we find a way to ignore the fact that we are terrible sinners, too. We are in trouble with God as much as they are. Our our sin, for the record, is an even bigger problem than other people's sin, because uh, we're not going to be condemned for other people's sin. We're going to be condemned for our sin. As Paul says here, why do you look down on your brother? We will all stand before God's judgment seat. Each of us will give an account to God. Not some of us, not only the really bad of us. Each of us will give an account to God. Each of us is going to have to spend some length of time in the principal's office. I'm sure you know that one of the reasons we can be so critical and judgmental of others is that it's a way of distracting ourselves from our own sins and problems. Usually, we hate in others what we hate in ourselves, but who wants to, like, hate themselves so we find a way to not do that by, by hating others? We're so smart, right? That's how we solve that problem. I don't want to hate myself, so I'll hate other people. Paul has already said in Romans chapter 2, he says, you who judge others do the same thing. And Jesus says quite famously, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I mean, that image is actually intended to be somewhat amusing. I mean, imagine a person walking around with a two-by-four in their eyes, walking around also trying to pluck bits of sawdust from other people's eyes. You, closer, I can't get to it. Is there anybody there? But this is how sin works. It completely blinds us and distracts us by the sin in other people's lives. We do this all the time, though. I, I've told you before, I've confessed to you publicly that I hate people, I hate people who use their phones while driving, who text while driving. It makes me so mad. I will actually yell at them out of my window. I will speed up, I will roll down, I will roll down my, my window and yell at them to get off their cell phones. But then what do I do? I do the same thing. I do it with my kids in the car. I just tell myself that I do it better than they do it. Instead of like repenting and not doing it. That's probably the solution there. But instead of repenting and not doing it, I will yell at other people who do it. That's my solution. I'm brilliant. You and I have bigger problems than other people's sin. Oftentimes, the way we judge others, the way we yell at other people, uh, we hate in ourselves. Whatever we're yelling out the window at the world, stop doing that. If you want something to think about on your way home, here's a question. What about myself do I hate so much that I judge others for it? What about myself do I hate so much that I judge other people for it? In order to become judgment-free people in a judgment-free church, we need to realize that we have bigger problems. Secondly, we need to realize that others aren't the people we think they are. Other people aren't the people we think they are. Our brains, I'm always fascinated in the brain and neurology, And our brains have actually developed in such a way that we form opinions of other people before we have all the information. We do this because it's actually easier and efficient. Stereotyping can be helpful because it saves us precious time. But stereotypes and prejudgments are often wrong, and they're usually unfairly negative. Not only are our brains hardwired to stereotype, but they're hardwired to stereotype negatively. Now, this might have actually benefited us, like, you know, in the jungle. But it's actually bad for those of us who are Christians and are called to live in loving relationship with people, especially with people who are different than us. I mean, we as Christians are called to rise above our neurological impulses. Our brains have been programmed to stereotype and stereotype negatively, but God calls us not to judge, but to love others. And the way to do this, one of the best ways to do this, is to get to know people as individuals. There's a story in the Gospel of John, for example, that I really like. It's um, a story of a guy named Philip, who was one of Jesus' early followers. He uh, was out recruiting for Jesus, out getting more followers. And he went up to a friend of his, a guy named Nathaniel, and he he told Nathaniel that he'd met Jesus. He wanted to go come meet, meet him. He said this, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Nazareth, small backwater village, right? Small little town, nothing fancy. Uh, there were no universities in Nazareth. There were no Fortune 500 corporate headquarters in Nazareth. Uh, people actually made fun of bumpkins from Nazareth, kind of like you know people around St. Louis make fun of bumpkins from Afton. You know. We can take it, though, right? So uh, Nathaniel, when he hears Philip tell him about this guy from Nazareth, he says, uh, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now now what does Philip say? Philip doesn't say, "Hey, go easy on Nazareth. I got cousins in Nazareth." He doesn't say, "Hey, no Nazareth is, is growing. They just actually just built a Casey's General Store. They're they're coming along." <laughs> now what does he say? He says, "Come and see." "Come and see. Meet him." Just come and meet this guy from Nazareth. He's not what you think. Nathaniel meets Jesus, ends up liking the guy, goes through with him to the end and beyond. That's the way to break through our judgmentalism and stereotyping. Come and see. Get to know people. Learn who they are as individuals behind your prejudgments. Usually they are not who you think they are. They are more, they are at least more interesting than you think they are. One of our uh, leadership families here at Rooftop, for example, and I share this with their permission, uh, they do a lot of foster care. And it's one of the things I actually love about the church that Rooftop has become. We really care for orphans here. Uh, And one of the leaders of that ministry uh, is leading the way. And, And they, by their own admission, they are a strong, conservative family. But God, through the foster system, put a child in their lives, actually a couple children in their lives from a a very economically broken part of the city. This family was glad to do it because they are filled with the love of Jesus. But even still, it was a cultural experience for them. And As they got to know this child and this extended family of origin, they grew more and more sensitive to the issues that impoverished urban folks have to deal with. They realized that a lot of people really are trapped in poverty. You know, they might have known that intellectually beforehand, but it became even more real to them that not everybody can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. That's a myth. It's a soundbite. The best way to become judgment-free people is to get to know others as individuals, like Nathan got to know Jesus. Now, a warning here. Getting to know people as individuals doesn't always challenge your stereotypes. Sometimes it confirms stereotypes. Don't be surprised. Stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. Also, just because we get to know people doesn't mean that their sin is excused. You know, sin is sin. God hates it. Uh, I, I have friends who are alcoholics. I get to know them, I understand why they're alcoholics. Stress, depression, family history. And that, that's helpful to understand, but it's still terrible. But at the very least, getting to know who people are, why people are that way, where they're coming from in life, it makes it harder to judge them and it makes it easier to help them, which is the point. Helping people. Jesus didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to save it. In order to become judgment-free people, we need to realize we have bigger problems. Others are not who we think they are. And lastly, for the record, I am over my time. I could cut point three if you want to do that. Okay, all right. With your permission, I'll tell the staff they insisted. I need someone at least to insist. Insist. Drew. Okay. Yeah. Okay, all right, back off. Third point we need to understand that God loves everyone equally. God loves everyone equally. As Paul has already said in Romans, God does not show favoritism. Now, honestly, this verse, God does not show favoritism. uh, It's uh, Paul's using it in the context of of judgment and wrath. Uh, God is saying, God, Paul is saying, God does not show favoritism. He will judge you all. Uh, You you will all be subject to the to the wrath of God. So, yay! Uh, And this was actually really hard for a certain segment of Paul's audience to understand. It was primarily the Jewish Christians in the congregation. They they really did feel that that they were, because of their special relationship with God, they were sort of exempt from God's judgment, and they they weren't going to have to be judged with those dirty Gentile dogs. I mean, the idea of of Jews and and Gentiles in the same boiling pot of stew, no, that's not going to happen. And Paul's saying, yeah, God doesn't show favoritism. (laughs) You're all in in it. But even as God does not show favoritism in his judgment, neither does he show favoritism in his love. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, Christ died for all. God loves me. He gave his son as a sacrifice for me as much as he loves you and and gave his son as a sacrifice for you. Now, when we really get that, when we really get the idea that, 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 that Christ died for all, it actually changes things. It makes us judge less. I mean, think about it. So much of the reason that we judge others is because by doing so, we feel better about ourselves. Judging others is the result of feeling some deficiency in ourselves which we can cover up by elevating ourselves over other people. That's why we judge our own insecurities. We judge others to cover up perceived deficiencies in ourselves. But here's the thing. In Christ, there is no deficiency in us we who have, been, have faith in Christ have been justified. We've been made holy in God's sight. We are perfect in God's sight because of what Christ has done. We don't need to prop ourselves up by condemning others. God has saved us and elevated us to his throne room as his royal children. Anything that we think we can get by judging other people, God has given us in Jesus Christ. One more time. Anything that we think we can get emotionally, spiritually, by judging other people, God has given us in Jesus Christ. On top of that, why would we judge people for whom Christ died? Why would we judge other people knowing that Christ died for them? Meanwhile, we sit in judgment of others, thinking them less than, Christ came to earth and suffered for them. He gave up his life for them on the cross. He knew they, as sinners, were subject to God's judgment, but he didn't sit back and think to himself, well, they deserve that. He didn't speed up, roll down his window, and yell at them out of the window to stop texting. No, what did he do? He went to the cross and died for their sins. He took the penalty they deserve, and in so doing, he gives inestimable value to sinners as children of God, worthy of the greatest sacrifice. For us to judge others for whom Jesus died is to insult in the greatest way the sacrifice of Jesus. For us to judge others for whom Jesus died is to spit on the cross of Christ. This is what we need to understand. In order to really become judgment-free people in a judgment-free church, we have bigger problems than other people's sin. We have our own. Other people are not who we think they are. They are not just sinners from Nazareth. They are people with stories and backgrounds. And God loves everyone equally. He judges them equally. He dies for them equally. This is what we need to understand. If we, God's people, gathered here at Rooftop, can understand this, we can continue to become something great. Great. We can grow faster and deeper than Planet Fitness. And they're picking up market share quickly. Because the world really does want a place, a gym, a church, they're not picky. They're really not picky. They want a place where they can come, be themselves, grow as people without feeling judged. And that's our goal, that's our vision here. But it's not going to happen through Pizza Fridays, It's not going to happen through the color purple. It's not going to happen through shrewd marketing. It's going to happen, thank God, through the message of Jesus Christ, who came into the world not to judge, but to save. Why would we do anything other than that?